This is Dr. Rob Harder with the Nonprofit Leadership Podcast, making your world better. What does it take to be an effective nonprofit leader today? What are the biggest challenges? What are the biggest obstacles? How should nonprofits fundraise in an economy that is constantly changing? All of these reasons combined led me to start this show. And it's my hope that through this series, people can learn not only what it takes to be an effective nonprofit organization, but to hear from effective leaders who are successfully making a positive impact in their communities. We hope you enjoy the show as together we hear how they are making their world better. Well, for years, one of the most effective ways a nonprofit could raise money was through large in-person fundraising events. Well, now fast forward to 2020, when COVID literally put the brakes on all large in-person events for a period of time. And even then, when restaurants and schools and other public places began reopening, still for many people, the idea of getting together with a big group of people inside a hotel conference center was just something they were not ready to do. So what to do? If you're a nonprofit development director in particular, or executive director, who depends on these large in-person events, what are you to do? What are the trend lines? Are large fundraising events back? Or are they going to ever come back? Well, my guest today has served as the MC for hundreds of events all across the country. My guest is Adam Christine. Adam believes that large in-person events are back and back in a big way. So what makes for an effective fundraising event? Should you provide a hybrid option still with your fundraising events? Does the venue matter? All these questions and more are answered by Adam, who again has so much experience. You're going to really enjoy today's show. Thanks for listening. Well, Adam, it's so great to have you on the show today. Now, you have a tremendous amount of experience in the area of being an MC and a host for hundreds of fundraising events from galas to dinners to charity concerts and luncheons. So this is a real area, I think, for many nonprofits right now anyway, of tension. The reason I say that, and you know, for the last two years with COVID, it shut down so many of these fundraising events, which really were the lifeblood for so many nonprofits around the country for how they would make their money and raise their funds each year. So maybe what I'd I'd like to do to start out is give us your sense of things when it comes to current fundraisers. Are large group fundraising events, you know, particularly I'm thinking like ranging from 100 to 1,000 anywhere in there. Are they back? Are people still afraid to gather in large group gatherings? What are you seeing in your neck of the woods? Yeah, Rob, great question. I'm happy to tell you that I think they're back. It reminds me of uh, you're having a pool party and people kind of wade in. They're maybe not ready to hang out in the deep end the whole time, but they're back in the pool. And one of the first things I do when I'm uh, emceeing an event like that is just reference, hey, we've been through a lot. Doesn't it feel great to be back together again? And so I might say something like, uh, Wow, during the pandemic, I sanitized my hands so many times, I actually found the answers to my eighth grade Spanish quiz. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good one. That is good. (laughs) It's wired into us, I think, as human beings that we want to gather, we want to be together, we want to celebrate. And so, yes, I'm seeing it in corporate events in general, but also nonprofits that are reconnecting with their donors and partners. Uh, it's good to know, actually, that I'm really glad to hear that. Uh, I'm, I know you're an extrovert just based on your personality type of what I've seen, and I'm the same way. And so I personally love them. And, but I am glad, honestly, because so many nonprofits really count on the fact they have, have a nice platform from which to tell the story of what they're doing, of course, right? And that's what fundraisers are great about, telling the story and getting the word out about what you get to do in one shot for a lot of people 
So, all right. So nonprofits, they're also started during COVID kind of this hybrid way of doing fundraising events. Some, of course, went completely online. Some are doing hybrid events. Tell us about that too, because I've had questions actually with other people on the show asking the question, should I just go full on now if they're coming back? Do I just do away with the online events or how about hybrid events? Is that the way to go to offer that to basically have a live end, someone online, give the option to people? What do you think about that? What's most effective? I think the key is you want to include as many people as possible in the experience. And so you really, if you do a hybrid event, and I think they're still valuable and viable, I think you want to focus primarily on not the people that are in person, but the event that's happening live. And so you're joining something that's happening. You're part of our experience. The biggest mistake people make, Rob, with hybrid events is they have those who are joining online or or virtually just kind of as passive observers instead of participants. And so if you can engage them, when I'm hosting a hybrid event, I really tell the meeting producer, we really have two audiences and we want to engage both simultaneously. And so I might be addressing people who are physically in the room, but then we're going to camera two, let's say, and addressing our people who are joining us from around the world, you know, and having for example, an experience kit or an experience box for your virtual attendees, I think it's really important. That way we can have a shared experience together where maybe people in person and online are opening a box, they're getting a gift, they're doing a magic trick, something that's like we're having a together moment. Now, have you found that those are just as effective as what you've done? Because for years you've done live events, of course. Have you found that those hybrid events can be as effective or is there still just that disconnect of not being in person that maybe makes them not quite as effective as if you're in the room? Well, I think there's good news and bad news. I think the good news is you can do online events that can be very effective in hybrid events. And the good news is you can save money. You know, people aren't paying for hotels or travel, uh, transportation. Bad news is I don't think you can go as deep. It's, It's just like the difference between enjoying your favorite band through Spotify or seeing them live in concert. It's just a different experience. And so whenever possible, I I urge people to try to go for the in-person live experience. I love it. Well, again, I'm a little bit biased towards the live events too, but good to know. Okay, let's talk about getting the right, most effective fundraising event possible with all of your experience. In fact, You've got some really good insights. You have an acronym, actually, I'd like you to share somewhere in here. So talk about it. What really makes a fundraiser effective? I know that I've been to many here. I live in Park City, Utah, as I was mentioning before the show. I think there's a pattern there for a period of time where you have the silent auction, you have the live auction, you have the puppy that you get auctioned off. You know, like you have this pattern almost, right, of what it means to be, you know, that most people use as if it's a playbook. But I don't think that's necessarily the most effective per se. Maybe for you, but what have you found with all the variety of fundraising events? What are the key elements that you'd recommend uh, nonprofit leaders to do? Well, what a great question. And you're right. Sometimes people think there's like a shortcut, like if I just have the puppy or I just have one amazing video. But I have found there are many keys, but if I could just identify six, and you mentioned acronym, and Rob, I am addicted to acronyms. Uh, I kind of collect them in my mind. Uh, In fact, I flew Delta the other night, and it turns out Delta stands for don't expect luggage to arrive. (laughs) I had no idea. I'm so glad you cleared that up (laughs) Now you know. Now you know. No, I, I actually love Delta, but I have an acronym. Since I am a master of ceremonies, it's the word master. If you want to have a masterful 
fundraising event, I think you need these six components. I'll just uh, touch on each one. First is you need an MC. If you were having an event in your home, for example, you would be the host of that party. Well, when you're having a program, you really need a program host. So that's the MMC. The A, this is maybe the most important, is focus on the attendee experience. And we can talk more about that in a second. And then the S is your speaker or speakers. Really important uh, as a draw, for example. And sometimes that means not just internal speakers, but special guest speakers or a celebrity speaker or an expert speaker. And then the T of the master acronym is transformational stories. And a mistake I see many nonprofits make is they want to tell you all about their organization instead of focusing on the transformation that happens when we partner with your organization. And then two more letters left. The E is empowering givers. And that means more than just giving them ways they can buy things at your fundraiser, but empowering them to be partners and givers to to make a difference. And then the final thing, I see this skipped so often, is the R for repeat. If you have a great event, make it an annual event. Put a sweet taste in people's mouths so they want to come back. And and one of the tips on that is make it shorter than you think. If it's a one-night gala, for example. Now, there are exceptions to this. If you're doing a a major donor weekend, then you want to really unpack it. But if you're doing a Friday night event, for example, you don't want it to go till 1030 at night. You probably want it to last two, two and a half hours max and leave people wanting more so that you can repeat it. So those are probably my six favorites right there. I love that. And could you talk about the A again one more? Let's go into that a little bit. The attendee experience. Talk about why that, why is it so important? I think if we're really, really honest, and I know you are on your podcast, Rob, a lot of times if we're facing the facts, people give to charities to make them go away. <laughs> and, and we want to reverse that feeling, that experience, so that I want to give to your nonprofit because I want to change the world. I want to change a kid's life. I want people to have clean water. Well, you know, I want social justice, whatever gets me charged up. And so instead of focusing on what you do, focus on what your partners and donors can do. And so the big shift is the attendees become the heroes. I, I, I believe many nonprofit groups, and it's understandable because they're doing great work, but they kind of make themselves the hero. And it, you want to flip that around where your attendees, your donors, they're the heroes and your nonprofit is the vehicle with which they can make an impact. Mm-hmm. Love that. All right. So I agree with that so much. I mean, I think it's such the experience there makes the difference, right? I think I've had the experience where you go to a fundraising event and maybe you're like, okay, I'm going to give, throw out a number, $200. Okay, I like this organization. And then you leave and you've given $2,000. And it's because the experience somehow turned your heart, changed your mind about the organization or something was so compelling that you're willing to give a little bit more than you planned on giving when you came in. What happens? Why does that happen? What would you say you've seen with your experience as an MC? Why does that happen to people? Oh, that's such a great, great observation and question. I think what happens is there's a shift from it. My friend that you interviewed, Bob Westfall, talks about this a lot, a shift from transactional to transformational giving, right? So, if I go to an event and I think, well, this dinner probably cost them $100 and there's the centerpieces and yeah, I'll buy a couple raffle tickets. So they probably spent 
$200 on me. So I think I'll put in 300. That's transactional. Transformational is, wow, if I give $2,000, that's going to help this young person start their own business. They're like, wow, I, I can really make a big impact here. And it gets exciting. And so you want to think, this might sound kind of crass, but the heart is a lot closer to the wallet than the head is. And so you want the donor to have an experience that touches their heart and moves them emotionally so that they want to do more than just buy a, a ticket. They want to change a life. I love that. And I, Bob was, if you haven't watched or listened to my Bob Westfall interview, you got to do that, listeners. It's an excellent uh, interview. And he's done that. And actually, Adam has worked with Bob uh, several times. And honestly, Bob is one of the, the best ones I've heard in terms of how effective he's been with just the sheer numbers of money that is raised with events that he's helped organize. And so he definitely has learned a lot and been very successful in that. Yeah, I want to comment on that. His uh, company, Westfall Gold, is approaching the $2 billion, with a B mark in funds raised. It's incredible. and That's uh, amazing. I've been privileged to emcee uh, uh, well over 100 of their weekends. and But we can apply, even to One Night Gala, some of this mindset, which is we're not treating our attendees like they owe us. We're inviting them into an experience that not only transforms the lives that are impacted by the nonprofit, but transforms the giver's life. I'll never forget being at a, a donor event where the donor ran up to me and said, Adam, we want to thank you for the best experience of our lives. And they gave a $100,000 gift to the nonprofit. But their feeling was, you just gave us more purpose, more love, more generosity. And so, so many times uh, we feel like, wow, I've only got two hours. I've got to tell the whole story. I've got to do a live auction, a silent auction. I got to sell raffle tickets. I got to sell ads in the, in the magazine. And then who's... And pretty soon it feels almost like a carnival and carnivals are fun, but usually the only one that wins at a carnival is, uh, you know, the, the vendor selling, you know, this and that, but you want the attendee to win. And so craft your whole gala, your fundraiser, your dinner, your weekend, whatever you're staging, craft it with the attendee's experience in mind. No, oh, I love that. I couldn't agree with you more. And let's get to the speaker. How important is it to get the right speaker and how do you go about picking and selecting that right speaker and why? Yeah. Again, uh, a mistake I see many nonprofits make and God bless them, you know, their hearts in the right place. They feel like, well, we really need to tell them what we're all about. And so we're going to have Jerry, who's been with us for 42 years and Jerry might be the nicest guy in the world, but if he's not a compelling speaker and if he's not a draw to get people there, I mean, your first thing is you want to get people in the seats. And so think about a speaker who is aligned with your mission, but he or she may not necessarily be on staff with your organization. So question number one is, is this going to help me get people to the event? Question number two is, is this going to help them feel more aligned with our cause, with our mission? And then third, is this going to move people when we get to our ask? And I do recommend, if at all possible, that you have an ask in your fundraising event. And that might be, you're just asking, some people call it, is this a friend raiser or a fundraiser? Maybe you're just asking people to become friends of your organization, but maybe, yeah, maybe you're asking them to support specific giving handles. But if you can have a speaker who can integrate his or her message with at least one of your giving handles, it can make it very powerful. You almost get a two-for-one effect that way because they're not only 
drawing people in and moving them, but they're building a bridge back to your mission. Oh, I love that. And Okay, so now building off that a little bit, um, I've had done many fundraisers, not as many as you, but I've done plenty. And when it comes to getting, say, a person that your nonprofit organization has served and they've benefited from the services you provide, how do you go about prepping that person to tell the story in the most impactful way? And the reason I mention that is because uh, I've, you know, sometimes had that experience where you think, okay, we're on the same page. This is going to be great. And then the person comes up and, and shares a story either goes too long or doesn't quite hit, like you were just saying, tying in the mission with the organization that you're trying to feature with their story because they go off into something else that's personal to them, but it wasn't quite tying it all together. So how do you go about making sure if you have like a featured speaker of someone who's actually benefited from your organization's services, how do you prep them? How do you do it in a respectful way, but also really clear way so that it really is a home run at the end of the day, both for the person speaking as well as for the attendee that went to the event? I would make a distinction, Rob, between your, your keynote or guest speaker and then people who are sharing transformational stories. And so I think you're, I think you're getting into the second category, which is also so important. And so let me, let me um, answer you with that in mind. You do not, let me underline, do not want people speaking in that context from a script, in my opinion, because the shortest distance between two people, Mother Teresa said, is a smile. You want them up looking, making eye contact, smiling, crying, whatever's on their heart, because that's what's going to affect and impact your attendees. And then instead of having them speak from a script, you have them speak from a sequence. And if I could give you the shortest sequence of all time, it would just be two P words, the pain and the prescription. So let's say that my family was sadly impacted by cancer. That's the pain. But partnering with your organization helped us deal with the cancer, helped us find healing, helped us find recovery, whatever that solution looks like. So I see too many groups that skip the pain part. And so you have someone just talking and talking about how, how great Mike is and Terry is awesome. And then we went on this and, and it feels like a you know, those old uh, family slideshows that nobody wanted to watch where it's like, we were, you know what <laughs> exactly, I mean? Exactly. Like, right. <laughs> we, we went to the Grand Canyon, but then we also drove through the Colorado River. Like, okay, wait, wait. Um, and <laughs> What's so, the purpose here? <laughs> yeah. Another way of putting it might be, where was the hurt? Because everyone can relate to that. We've all been hurt. We've all been impacted. And then where did the help come from? And I think if you can have Sometimes it's better to have one super powerful transformational story than have five or six people up on stage and you're interviewing each one really quickly. Let me go deeper into this person's journey because really it's my journey too. And when I give to you, I'm helping more people like, let's say it's Sheila, have an experience like she did that helped her and helped her family. I want more experiences like that. I want to replicate and reproduce that. We'll be right back. This episode is sponsored by Arts Midwest. They have launched a new podcast called Filling the Well. The Filling the Well podcast has been created to nourish, provoke, and inspire. Hear from creative changemakers as they share their takes on how to shift power, avoid burnout, build community, share resources, and advocate for support. You can visit artsmidwest.org slash filling the well. Again, that's artsmidwest.org slash filling the well. Hey friends, thanks so much for listening to the Nonprofit Leadership Podcast. 
If this is your first time listening to us, I want to make sure you're aware of a whole group of other episodes with fascinating guests that I previously interviewed. Just go to our website, nonprofitleadershippodcast.org. There you'll find numerous interviews of nonprofit leaders from all over the country and even from different countries, all trying to make their world better. I also want to encourage you to like, subscribe, and share this podcast with others. This will help us get this great content out to more nonprofit leaders just like you. Now, finally, if you want to get my monthly email update that contains more resources in addition to these episodes, it's really easy. Just go to my website at nonprofitleadershippodcast.org and simply type your email address in the top right-hand box and you'll be added to our monthly email update. And this way you'll never miss any of the interviews or extra content from this show. And if you have any questions or comments, do not hesitate to email me. Thanks again for listening. Now back to the show. Oh, I like that. That's a really, really easy way to remember and also just very precise pain and prescription. So you can write that down in your notes. Okay. You also talk about empowering givers. What do you mean by that exactly? And how do you go about implementing that through your events? Well, one of the things that's great is to have not only people sharing who have been directly impacted by your nonprofit, but have people sharing about the impact that I experience when I give to your group. A lot of people forget that, but generous givers are contagious and it comes from their spirit, from their heart. It shouldn't feel like, uh, well, here's a kind of a catch 22. You want to be very business-like when you present the opportunity to give, almost like you're presenting like a business opportunity in a very logical way, but you want the ask itself to be very compelling. And so you want to give people the sense of when I give, it's going to change my life too, because all the studies are showing that we feel better when we give, when we're generous. I mean, Adam Grant's book, for example, Give and Take, right? Is but it goes back to Bible times. I think in the New Testament it says it's more blessed to give than to receive, mm, right? So, so okay. science science is confirming that. And so, can you showcase in your uh, gala, your annual dinner, your fundraising luncheon, your donor weekend, whatever you're uh, producing, can you showcase givers and how their lives have also been transformed as they've partnered with you? Okay, good. Well, okay. Fundraiser, we've talked about that. That's really important, but I, I wanted to broaden this conversation a little bit today too, on just the state of fundraising in general, when it comes to nonprofits, I'd like to get your perspective on this because you've been doing this for so many years and recent studies have been showing that over half of all fundraisers are considering leaving their job in any given year. Additionally, uh, according to a 2019 report in the Chronicle of Philanthropy that many of my listeners may read, they point out this, that approximately 30% of fundraisers plan to not only leave their jobs, but they leave the nonprofit fundraising sector altogether. So why do you think this is the case? And what's going on with the state of fundraising today? Well, you know, Rob, my background, I grew up at this uh, club in Hollywood called the Magic Castle. So I learned all these card tricks and you had to learn to do shuffles. And what I'm seeing is just a constant shuffling and reshuffling. And part of it comes from uh, a nonprofit organization might become impatient. But remember that relationships take time. Uh, When you met your spouse, I'm sure, you know, you may have fallen in love quickly, but you didn't propose immediately. And sometimes we expect the, the... development people, for example, to just have one lunch and leave with this major check or something. And it's just not realistic. Relationships take time and you want to invest in them even when the person on the other side just feels served. They feel loved. They feel listened to. 
And so I think that's one of the big challenges. Another thing is people confuse, I think, projects with partners. I'll give you an example of that. If I tell you, hey, if you give by the end of this month, it'll help this particular project. Well, that's, that's great. And I may do that. But you maybe you're not cultivating a long-term relationship if you only do fundraising that way. And so I encourage people to focus on their donors as long-term partners, not just one project after another project. Like if your donors are only hearing from you when you need something, you're not serving them well. I really like that. The difference between partners and projects. That is a great distinction. Excellent. Do you think that with this reshuffling, have you also seen that people like say, move from nonprofit to nonprofit. And when they do so, say, for example, in Orange County, where you spend a lot of your time, because we see this in Park City too, that often you'll see a development director move from one nonprofit to another in the same basic area. Now, there's a lot of nonprofits, both in Orange County and in Park City. But do you find that that after a while kind of boomerangs in a negative way against that person? Because now it's the same person, but different organization. Talk about that. I I don't want to, you know, uh, put down people that do that because sometimes it's a better opportunity or it's a, a better fit for their, you know, they tie into the mission better. But I do, I've seen that a lot too. If you take that metaphor of reshuffling the deck, I, I definitely have seen that with people pos- moving positions and, and moving into different organizations. Have you seen that? And is that effective or is that in the long run ineffective? Yeah, that's a, that's kind of a big can of worms. Let me just open it real quick. For yeah, exactly. Sorry, I just opened that up for you. <laughs> no, no, I, I do see that a lot, Rob. Sadly, uh, what I see is uh, people hopping as uh, development people from one nonprofit to another, and it can hurt the organizations and the donors and the reps. And I think, you know, in real estate, they say uh, there's three rules, right? Location, location, location. I think when we're talking about fundraising, especially in the nonprofit arena, it's relationships, relationships, relationships. And so we want to protect the relationship with the donor. We want to protect our relationship with the reps. I feel like sometimes the development reps um, undervalued. I mean, these people are magical, wonderful, giving, caring people. And many of them could make way more income just doing straight up sales or marketing somewhere, but because their hearts are aligned with a particular, you know, nonprofit or a type of charity, they're in it because they love it. And so I'd like to see us not only cultivate donors, but cultivate uh, growth in our, in our development reps. And so I don't want to make this sound too syrupy, but we can, there's enough love that actually expands for each of these categories. And finally, I would say this, uh, and obviously I'm biased because I do comedy with my MC work, but look at that word fund or fundraiser. The first three letters are fun. Let's, <laughs> I like <right>? that. <laughs> yeah. Let's make sure it's fun for, for everyone. I mean, make, make your event fun. Make the experience of a meeting with a donor fun. Make it memorable. I noticed there's a real link to people having a great time, experience, uh, experiencing a sense of community and expanded giving. I love that. Put the fun back in funding, fundraising. I love it. It's good. Okay. So maybe my last question or close to being my last question, does fundraising for nonprofits need to fundamentally shift today because of all the changes we've gone through, maybe COVID's caused that in order to stay competitive? Or do you think we just need some slight adjustments? Uh, What's your recommendation for today's fundraisers? Well, one thing is I think people underestimate how much time and money it takes to do a fundraising event. And again, this comes back sometimes to this 
urgent project mindset, right? Like we, oh my goodness, to make our goal, we got to, and, and if it feels thrown together, it probably is thrown together, right? And so give yourself time to plan an event months and months out. I, I work with some groups that are planning two years. I'm already booked in some cases, two years out. Wow. Okay. But this allows them time to find the right keynote speaker, to find the right venue. We hardly spoke at all, Rob, about venues. That's a really key thing is Let's, where yeah, you, maybe talk about that real quick. Yeah. Why is it so important? Well, think about this. If I'm wanting to attract someone with a uh, high capacity in the potential giving, are they going to want to go to the Holiday Inn or are they going to want to go to the Ritz-Carlton or someplace really cool like the Magic Castle in Hollywood? I'm thinking of Southern California places, the Huntington Library. You know, there, there, there are places like, hey, I'd like to go to an event there. Otherwise, I think sometimes we should just send donors a bill. If we're not going to give them an experience, just, <laughs> an hey, invoice. just hey, here's your invoice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, here's your invoice. I'll go away if you just pay this, right? And we, we, don't, we don't want to be like that. And so think about where you have the event not just why. I think it's great that there's been a lot in our culture in the last few years about the power of why, and that's important, but also where, where you have the event so that donors want to come and have an experience together with you. If I could only give you one of those six uh, components that I shared, it would be that attendee experience. And so think about why they'd want to come, where you should have it, who they'd want to hear, and then can they leave with something? Maybe it's physical, maybe it's emotional or spiritual where they feel like, wow, I had an experience that not only will touch other people's lives, but touched my life. Boy, that's so well said. And uh, I'm glad to hear that. It's interesting not to go too much. This will be another podcast interview one of these days, but I've had guests on the show recently because of COVID that have told me, and I, th- I have heard this to be the case with many people and many uh, organizations that you can get people to give, say, for example, a million dollar gift through a Zoom call. And some donors really like the fact that, hey, you don't have to spend a bunch of money on some fancy place. However, having said that, I've also seen it very effectively done where there is a unique place that you have your fundraising event and say a donor that maybe wouldn't otherwise come or like, oh, I've never been to that place. Like I said, the Huntington Library. I want to go. I want to check that out. And, And oh, okay. It sounds like there's a good cause too. another reason to go. So again, with your experience, you found the venue really has made a difference in terms of the attendee experience and the overall giving amounts. I, I want to say, uh, share something that might sound kind of silly, Rob, but uh, I'm just getting to know you. I like you. You're getting to know me. I hope you like me. But let's be honest. I didn't wake up in the morning thinking, I wonder how Rob's doing. And you didn't wake up <laughs> right, this morning so thinking, you I did what Adam... <laughs> I'm so disappointed. I'm so disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> and you didn't wake up saying, I-, I wonder what Adam's having for breakfast. But somehow, some for some reason, we think as nonprofit leaders that people are waking up thinking, I wonder how this... Or-, and their chances are they're just not. And so we have to help them think about us, engage with us. We first of all have to get their attention. That's another reason why I, I'm always encouraging people to put the attendee experience first and make it fun, make it enjoyable. Remember, you're competing with them, uh, you know, going to see the new Tom Cruise movie or going to this party or uh, having a a trip or something. Now, the donor who does give half a million dollars on the Zoom call, I'm going to guarantee you that it wasn't just a 30-minute Zoom call, that there was a lot of relationship building that went into that. Good point. um, Mm -hmm. There's an old saying in the sales world, the more you tell, the more you sell. I would shift that around a little bit and say, the more the donor can tell. In other words, the more 
he or she can share about their life and their experience. And so when I MC fundraisers, I'm always looking for ways to engage them, to get their opinion, their laughter, their participation. And so as you think about designing an event, give it room to have that component that engages your attendees. Uh, Maybe it's a game show, maybe it's comedy magic, but something that lets them breathe and have some fun, not just a one-way communication, but a a dialogue of engagement. Now, well said. Well, the one thing I wanted to leave my listeners with is, and it sounds like you're booked out for some events already two years out, but uh, I have a feeling that some of my listeners may want to get in contact with you and have you as their MC. Are you taking new possible ventures and fundraising events? And if so, how do people get in contact with you to find out more about you and how to reach out to you and contact you? Yes. Thank you, Rob. Uh, I'm mentoring other MCs also. And so if I'm not available, I, I'm still very happy to advise them. And uh, But my site is adamchristing.com. Just my name, adamchristing.com. And they can fill out a form or give us a shout. And we would be honored to be of service to your uh, your listeners. Well, that's great. Well, Adam, again, I love your energy. Love your excitement. Thanks for all you do to really build up the nonprofit sector and have these really successful fundraisers. I hope my listeners reach out to you and learn a little bit more about what you do. Thank you so much. And thanks for doing this show. I've, I've listened to a number of the uh, uh, episodes and you always give a lot of value and energy. So thank you, Rob. Absolutely. It's fun doing it. It's great having people like yourself on the show. Hey, friends. Well, I wanted you to know that this podcast can be found on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, Google Podcasts, and wherever you listen to other podcasts. I also want to encourage you to like, subscribe, and share this podcast with others. This will actually help us get this great content out to more nonprofit leaders just like you. You can also join the Nonprofit Leadership Podcast community, find other resources and interviews of past guests all on my website, nonprofitleadershippodcast.org. Well, thanks again for listening. And until next time, keep making your world better.